Okay. We are back today to wrap up our final chapter of the creativity connection and our and conundrum. And we are, so this is our, our chapter on the promise of creativity, which is finding our purpose. Do, do you want to define that a little more for us, Renee? Well, <clears throat> yeah. I guess. Um, so the whole entire book up until this point, whatever, however many pages it is, is to somehow prove that creativity um, is the force that holds all things together. And that that's coming from that perspective. What does that mean for us? And um, so this chapter actually, I mean, I don't know if you remember that there's 10 components of creativity, like transportive, transcendent, sustaining inner outer process product and it everything is like um it's like a hexagon or whatever everything is the same a different side of this of, of one thing and it's creativity and the idea for purpose is that once you understand what it is what is creativity and it's this force that's been in us since the beginning of time helping us grow and connect and holding us together then everything you do once you know what creativity is has meaning it gives significance to your daily life um so it builds up to that argument and then it, it then i'm trying to say that we need to live in a holistic like a holism not fragmentation mm -hmm. and so i go through all all the support uh, the support for that so can you give an example of you know that that shift from the day-to-day -day life that's sort of the mundane and the the purposeless and how creativity can infuse that experience and shift it towards purpose well i mean the the example i always use as a joke but it's true is you know you have to curl your hair let's just say you're putting the blow dryer on and you're curling it or you're curling with a curling iron or you're putting rollers in it anything like that I'm not a hairdresser. So for me, that's not my thing, but it's still a creative act. And it's still because I'm going to come together with people and it's still something so dumb or um, everyday, you know, mundane that makes me go, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. I'm human. It's in my DNA. I, I have me, I'm special. I have, I have this power in me to either curl my hair or plant a garden or make a masterpiece and ultimately what is it for and so we talk we've talked about this since the beginning because i i let the cat out of the bag in chapter one or in the preface that after all my studying and reading almost every book i could get my hands on there was a lot less in 2003 than there are now you can imagine all the experts disagreed on what creativity is and i had arguments with each one of them in the margins and so when i came to the end and i realized wait a minute everybody does agree with this one thing creativity is a property of the collective so to me that is profound that everybody can disagree about what it is what it is what it is what's the definition who's creative who's not does that count is that deemed as creative and then but they all agreed that this thing that we have in our in our blood in our this hardwired in us is for the collective and so this chapter talks about what do we do with that then? What does that mean? One of the um, sections talks about Darwinism. 
Um, we go into how everything's kind of a competition these days. Um, like even the cooking shows, you're timed, there's a winner, there's a loser. It's all subjective. It's all subjective to who who tastes this and who tastes that and the texture and everything's a competition. Then we have the X factor and we have, I don't know, um, the voice and mm -hmm. what are all those? Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, even the Eurovision contest, right? <laughs> yes. yes. Um, it's just everything is a contest. And if you were to ask somebody on the street, like, why do you think that even in kindergarten, you get a green star if you're good and a red star if you're bad, whatever, a red mark? Mm -hmm. Why do you think it is in our culture here, in our culture? I mean, we've never lived anywhere else. You have. Why is this competitive thing in us? It, it's ingrained in us. And most people would say, well, Darwinism, it's, it's survival of the fittest. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I did a little research on Darwinism and in his, uh, whatever it is, it's like mm, 700 pages. Um, he talks more about something else than he, he doesn't really talk that much about competition and the right. survival of the fittest. He talks about something called cooperation and talks more about how we need each other to survive and that we wouldn't survive without each other. Mm -hmm. But we've been taught the opposite, haven't we? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I have to point out, so you're, I think you're talking about The Origin of Species by Darwin. Yeah. Um, the, he, the 700 page book, sorry, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, He, at no point does he make an argument for social Darwinism, which is, which has evolved the idea of social Darwinism is what you're talking about. This idea that we're inherently competitive and, and competition is inherently a positive thing because it's establishing us as, you know, mm -hmm up the food chain, you know, that kind of a thing. And, and there's a lot of arguments like competition can be healthy. It can provoke creativity. It can, it can bring out the best of in us sometimes. Like I'm definitely, you know, I've, I've been on sports teams, competitive dance, competitive cheer, a lot of comp competitive teams. And I loved it, you know, but ultimately competition was a very, it was at least just one element of it that brought out the creativity. I would say the community and the sense of nurturing a skill mm -hmm. and having a coach and all that is is something that really really brought the the creativity out. So anyway, I just want to point out that social Darwinism was not a an idea of Charles Darwin. It's something that's been extrapolated by capitalists, basically, Thank to you. to Thank justify you. yeah market logic. So yeah, there you go. And so. But the average person doesn't know that they just think, well, it's we are born like this, but we're not we're, we're not. So in, you know, the evolution of the species. Um, you can, you know, you look at tribes and you look at um, just the cave of hands. That's the very end of the book that just that that whole picture just makes me cry. Just thinking 10,000 years ago, a tribe or a family got together and said, we have to leave our mark. Yeah. Is that Lascaux that you're talking about in France? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I no, I'm talking about the one in Argentina. Is it in Argentina? Maybe. Let me see. Argentina. Yeah, it's Santa Cruz province, Argentina. I can show okay. a picture of it right here. This is the very last page of the book. And to me, this says so much. Cave, Cave of Hands in Patagonia, Argentina. Cueva de las Manos. Sorry for my terrible Spanish. Cuevos, eggs. 
So anyway, we, we go through the series of um, conversations about why we're competitive. Um, I, I mean, you would know more about Descartes and um, the whole separatism, dualism. Yeah, dualism, exactly. So yeah. go ahead, you go on that one. Carti okay, go, Cartesian dualism. Okay, so Cartesian yeah. dualism. Um, let's see, I wanna talk about the subject-object distinction, but that came later, but it's ultimately the same thing. It's Descartes talks about, I think therefore I am, right? That's his favorite, cogito ergo sum. And so the I, the, the I for Descartes on his, in his meditations on first philosophy, that is the proof that we exist as a discrete entity. I think, therefore I am, because if, if I didn't exist, I couldn't think, there couldn't be an I, there couldn't be a thinker. So it's funny because in a sense, Descartes onto something and in a lot of like Eastern philosophy and Western philosophy, Christianity, any kind of contemplative philosophy, there's the idea that the the awareness, the, the light that shines, the consciousness, think of it like a flashlight that shines onto sensory objects and, and sees them, the light of that consciousness, um, is, is conscious awareness, is actually our true nature. So Descartes is, is like, okay, well, there's something seeing something here. And so instead of going to this is awareness, this is conscious awareness without I, he immediately says, well, this must be me. This must be ego, like this discrete entity called Descartes, called Rene Descartes, you know, in this body, in whatever century, etc. So that becomes the I is the center of the universe and everything outside of it is the object oh, yeah, that's being right. perceived. Right. So even if we didn't get that explained to us in kindergarten, let's just keep using kindergarten. It's something that um, is just inherent in our upbringing, that I'm me and you're you, and maybe sometimes there's a we, maybe not, and that there's a separation there. There's a, there's a definite, distinct point of separation. But the, the previous chapters in Creativity um, Conundrum talk about that there is no separation between individual and society that the individuals in the society are what i mean the individuals inside this inside the group are what makes society right. and so jim and i were talking yesterday because i'm still having a really hard time writing my talk and um we were talking about how an engine the inside of the engine we don't see but it's what makes the car go and it's a really great metaphor for the process and the product. And so what I tried to explain earlier in the book is that process for the collective is our individual process mounting to make the society. Like the process of society is a bunch of individuals and what we pass right. on. Right. And this is why I always take issue with the idea of the us and of them. And of course, there are so many nuances to that. Of course, there's the 1%. That I was just reading the other day that 1%, obviously we know 1% of the population holds like 55% of the wealth or something. Oh gosh, uh, it's yeah. So, yeah. And then the, at the other side of it, 55% of the population is holding 1.3% of the wealth. Mm -hmm. It's really, really scary, isn't it? It's crazy. I it, the article said that there hasn't been such a wage gap or a wealth gap since feudal Europe, since the lords and the serfs. Yeah. Yes. 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 So anyway, the point I was making is, 
that the idea of the us and them on a metaphysical level, not on a, on a relative level where there are haves and have nots, but on a metaphysical level, it's all just people, right? It's all just people. And there are many nuances to that argument, but what I want to, what the point I want to make, and I think the point that you're making is that it's sort of like the, if you, if we're all an ant colony, right? It's like, there's the, there's no, you know, segregation in that, in that colony, like the colony acts as a creative whole, even if some of the ants are, you know, out on the back smoking weed, or some of the ants are like, you know, trying to plot to overthrow the queen or whatever. It's all, it's all this kind of like amalgus creative whatever you want to call that right expression mm -hmm. and and we don't see ourselves that way because we're not trained to see ourselves that way but it is and so i i'd kind of go into it but um i bring up the whole david Bohm and co-creating reality and um amit goswami and um just on an on a subatomic level how all matter is entangled and I mean, I'm, I'm not a scientist, but I draw from like David Baum and uh, Leslie something or other Spoder, like spiritual ecologists. And I draw from every discipline to to what they think. I'm not I'm not talking about an economist. I'm talking and, and I'm not talking about a socialist. I'm not a socialist, like um, socio sociological perspective, because they're studying what is. Right. I'm, I'm talking about different disciplines. I pull in different disciplines that all say, hey, you know, this separate thing, we are one. We are like the ants, like you said, and our, and our matter is entangled and we don't, nothing is isolated. Nothing is isolated. We don't function separately. Um, I've, I found a quote by Marcus Aurelius. I don't know how to say his name. Um, and I mean, talk about falling down and crying over it. I couldn't believe that the, this emperor, he has a little book, uh, you know, I think of yeah. meditations. Yeah. I couldn't believe how beautiful he wrote and how he believed that everything was one. And that's what David Bohm believes, that we're part of, we're all part of this whole. We're not a separate part, we're part of the whole. You, you can't take it out, just like I can't take a cell out of my body and put it right here. I can't, it's gonna die. And if I do that too many times, I'm going to die. The whole idea of being one is not taught to us ever in, in where we live. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. It's taught, it's taught about, you know, division. You are like this, you are, these people are like that. Even if it's, um, even if it's bridging that division, even if it's like, oh, everyone, or, or it's this, we're all the same, which is a homogenization, but it's not, we're all one. It's, we're all the same. Like we're all kind of this, you know, cookie cutter assembly line, but not in an interconnected way. Right. On an yes. And that interconnectivity level. with creativity and interconnectivity and intersection and, you know, connection. All of those things you cannot pull from the creative drive or the creative instinct, which has kept us alive. And so the purpose when you study creativity and when you realize that almost everything you do on a daily basis is from that source. Some people might think it's God. I don't know. It, but after, you know, after reading the whole book or after reading a bunch of books on creativity, when you really study it, it's impossible to be known. So it is like God. There's only, it's like the elephant thing where there's the ears if you're over here and the tail if you're over here. 
You know, when people, different blind people touch the elephant, somebody says, oh, it has a really long trunk. Somebody says, oh no, it has a really, or not trunk, but long hose-like thing or whatever they say. And the tail, oh, it's so skinny. Oh, this is really, like each person's at a different point and says something different about the elephant that's blind because they can't see that it's all one big thing. And so it's the same idea with creativity. People can't really agree what it is, but they do study it and they try and get it into some kind of order. And the order that I saw when I studied it was this, was the David Bohm perspective that all things are one. And then I found, of course, that's what you do. I found sources all over the place that have been around since, obviously, you know, Aristotle, Marcus Aurelius, sit for a lot, a long time. And even in some cultures, like um, the African culture, they have the word Ubuntu, which I'm sure you've heard of it. And it means, hi there, I am because we are. It's, it, there's a word for it. I am because we are, Ubuntu. It's similar to the actual meaning of the word namaste um, as it's used in, in Hinduism and in India. It's, it's the, the infinite awareness in me acknowledges the infinite awareness in you or the, mm -hmm. you know, there's many, many different translations of it, but it's essentially that essence. The God in me honors the God in you. And I mean, if only, right? And so I, I did, I, I read that chapter. And of course, uh, it's close to my heart because it's all stuff that resonates with me. I mean, I wrote it, but after rereading it, I just felt like, God, this is just such a, such a, a worldview that is life-changing for where we're at right now. And I don't want to go into all society's problems. I just wanted to go into the problem with uploading shit and what kind of society it makes when nobody gives a shit about what they're uploading just to get views. Right. Because society, uh, the process itself, when we truncate the process, it's going to truncate the product. So if the process is shallow, the product is shallow, and we're making a shallow society. So right now in my, what I see is people just want fame and fortune. They're not concerned with function. Um, so instead of fame, we need to focus on function, the function of our art and how it's going to impact the world, how it's going to land, how it's going to shape culture, not just the fame or the um, fortune. So, and then the other thing is uh, instead of commerce, we want connection. Um, instead of thinking of all the commerce that our, our likes are gonna get, you know, and the money we're gonna get on YouTube and all of that. But I can't even begin to have the conversation about climate, change and the miss the distribution of distribution of wealth and the wars go i can't even go there right yeah so if everyone had the worldview that we are one and nothing is isolate i think we'd figure out how to have less problems maybe we'd still have problems sure sure well it's it's sort of the idea it's so funny because one of my favorite movies i'm gonna have to drop name drop this movie it's called i heart huckabees i was just watching it for probably the 30th time in my life really? this weekend um and it's really all about this in a really farcical fun silly light-hearted way um it's got marky mark in it it's got lily tomlin and dustin hoffman and it's all about what we're Is talking that, about are those boys in it the brothers mm, not sure um it is there is a what's that guy's name i can't think of his name um one of some comedian he's like a little kid in it here a teenager anyway so it's 
the whole movie is really about this premise is like, are we dis- are we connected? Are we all one or are we completely, we're just alone in the universe. And it's like this, it, this internal struggle of like the, the ultimate existential question and the, the ultimate, you know, conclusion of the movie is it's a little bit of both. Like it's, and, the, and that's what I love about it is it's so, it's like the, on the relative level. Yeah. We are isolated in a lot of ways. We are alone and we do suffer and we do experience pain. And on the ultimate level that even in and of itself unites us because yes, yes. universal experience, right? Yes. So Isn't that beautifully said? It's just like this quote by, oh gosh, um, Nagarjuna, Nagarjuna, maybe I'll have to look it up, but it's, um, wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Love tells me I am everything between the two. My life flows. Beautiful. Oh, that is beautiful. It's one of my, one of my favorites. And, and it's the truth. It's like, we are this tiny grain of sand, right? We are just one of billions of tiny grains of sand or trillions, you know, but at the same time, we're all tiny grains of sand. And ultimately we're making it, we're the beach we're, or we're the constellation of the stars or mm-hmm. whatever, you know? So it's, it's not that there, it doesn't have to be one or the other necessarily. It, it's both at the same time. And this, that goes back to the principles of opposites where one thing cannot exist without the other. So isolation can't exist without unity or dark can exist without light, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the beauty and the tragedy of being embodied in the manifested universe where there is form, there is contrast, there is, there's up and down, there's pain and there's pleasure, you know, um, it's, you can't have one without the other. And straddling those opposites is one thing, but unifying them is another. Right. So, you know, we can toggle back and forth between being all those things, but unifying them and understanding that, that, that's our experience. I love the idea of um, our discontent or our disconnectedness unifying us. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that. Who was telling me this? Wasn't you? Um, someone told me this story and I've heard it many times before. Stop me if it was you, but it was um, someone, someone after uh, World War II, um, the Nazis were standing trial for their atrocities. And on the stand was a Jewish man who may have been in a concentration camp. Um, And he's breaking down, crying, and he's being questioned. And, you know, someone asks him, like, are you crying because of what they did to you? And he says, no, I'm crying because I realize that I'm capable of the same evil that he's capable of. And that moment he's seen, and this person who's on trial, um, who potentially slaughtered people, tortured people, who knows, he's seen that, wow, if I, under the right circumstances, with the right manipulation of my mind and the right, you know, cultural mood and, and feeling a part of a certain movement or whatever it may be, I could have been that person. Wow. wow. No, I haven't heard that story. Definitely was not me. Okay. Yeah. It was someone just a couple days ago. I can't think of who it was, but it, um, it was just so, you know, it's such a powerful. Well, what's that famous test that they did? They brought all the people. I, it's so, it's so famous. And they had them uh, push the um, electricity to shock someone. And they said, do, and they had someone tell them, do it harder, do it harder. 
It was, like, it I was that fun. Yeah. Um, we'll have to, we'll have to drop the, the name of that study in the notes. Mm -hmm. And, and so it, it is true. It could, and that the study was after world war two, but yeah. it was, um, it was not in my lifetime, but right before my lifetime. Yeah. Milgram experiment, I think for each wrong answer they, so they only believe this it's not actually happening but they believe that the person is receiving actual electric shocks and there's no actual shock being delivered it's like an actor yelling and and acting like they're in pain so it's a yell university study by stanley milgram um stanley, that's right yeah that's yeah. it yeah yeah it's and so he what the guy was saying was that the the story that you're telling and then they did a test on it um as far as um there was a guy who was a writer, John Dos Passos, and I had to do, I had to read all his stuff. He's so not famous. I don't know why I had to spend so much time on him, but he wrote many, many books and he wrote like collages and they had news, newsreels in them. But one of his books, you know, I don't care that I don't remember, but it was all about the disconnection and I should probably read it again because we're also disconnected now with the computer and the phone and the, um, the, you know, all the social media and we don't have to go to the movies anymore. We can see our films in our bedroom. We are all disconnected. Um, but one of his books was how crazy it was in the 30s or the 20s and how disconnected everyone was. But the point of the whole novel was to connect us. So by showing how disconnected we were, he's talking about how connected we are as, in the, as humans. That, that's how bad we need connection. That's because we're so disconnected. And think about it, if it was bad then, it's, it's much worse now. I, I mean, you can live your whole life, order your food, get it delivered, not talk to anyone, go grocery shopping online, pay your bills online, work online. Um, you, you can think that you're not part of a whole. You can be misguided. Right, totally. Yeah, it's possible to, and, I, and I, not only possible, I think in many ways, like for instance, this is coming up for me a lot and based on recent events in the news and everything is preschool teachers, this is a jump, but preschool preschools are having such a hard time filling their their staff. Like they don't have staff. Staff, not filling yeah. their classroom. Not their classrooms, no. They're they're cutting down, they're like canceling classes because they don't have enough staff. Mm -hmm. And so this is one of those instances, it's like we really need a human to do that job. Right. Like we're not at the point yet where we want we, we on a universal level, we want to say like, hey, let's just, you know, outsource that to robots, you know, because this is the care of our children. Right. Um, but we're economically we're at this point where it doesn't make any sense for someone to get a master's degree in early childhood development and then make fifteen dollars an hour. You know, yes. And you and I have had this talk before. It's so important. And yet teachers are not rewarded for the kind of sacrifice they give. So. It's almost like if you want to give in this life and you want to be a giver and you want to make the world a better place, that means you just must not care about money. So those of us that give more shits about money are going to go make the money. And right. since you don't care about money because you're such a giver, then you can make what little you make. We're, we want, we're going to go over here and make money. That's what we're about. And, and the point of me bringing that up is not to just take us far afield, but to say that society, to, to drive your point home, society is increasingly making it viable, easier, potentially more convenient, um, and less, uh, there's less hardship involved in being antisocial. Right. right. Well said. 
You're on a roll. Yes, it's getting easier and easier. But yes, what the hell do we do with the babies? And and the elderly. Speaking yeah. of caregiving yeah. and outsourcing. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's Wally, right? You've seen the movie Wally. And the babies are like Wally, the Disney movie. Yeah. Wally. Um, it's with a robot, you know, the little robot goes to space and it's like post-apocalyptic earth. It's a very, very lighthearted post-apocalyptic view of the future. And the babies are, you know, there's like this, just, a, you know, a 30 second clip, if, if that, maybe 10 of the babies in the nursery with the, with the nurse robot, you know, being okay. by the nurse mm -hmm. robot. And it's the, you know, the same thing as all these people are watching their screens and they haven't even met each other. They're like, Hey, Oh, hi. The screens go away. Oh, hi. And then they're just besties and, you know, their bones have atrophied and not from being in space and sitting in these chairs. And you I, have to, I have to watch it. I have to watch it and I've never seen it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You definitely have to watch it. It's really good. It's really good. Well, and the, the movie that that brings to my mind is the one about um, factory farming. Right. And then the meatballs one. There's one about factory farming where the strawberries are alive and they have to, you know, get away. And then it, it's just about how high, um, high productivity, you know, and then because the, the animals have to, you know, what we do to the animals now just because we need to keep producing more and more. And then the meatballs, the raining meatballs. Mm -hmm. The cloud oh, cloudy with a chance of me. Yes, movie. yes, it's talking about our greed and, and um, it's just great. So we have some really clever ways that are not podcasts, you know, from two academic people chatting. There are great stories that stick with us about pretty much this same idea that instead of connecting, um, we need to go off and make money and give our babies to robots and buy more just consume more there is a movement though there's a movement people your age are doing the homesteading and they're, they're not buying into this and they're not buying homes and they're not accumulating things and they're trying to be um you know more tribal to you know i don't want to say the word hippie but a lot of educated mindful non-drugged out people really really want to change the the trend and so these people were raised um your age the, with share the sharing culture i was not if you put something online or whatever you would charge for it but then you know about 10 years into it people stopped charging for all their content music became free and people my age were like no i don't want my music to be free i spent a lot of money on my album i'm not giving away for free I'm not doing it and music is just a perfect example and i mean obviously i'm a voice teacher so the whole industry went you know went crazy for a little while and then finally people my age had to go yeah i guess i gotta give my music away for free and i'll never get paid for it you get paid in other ways blah 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 but this culture of sharing um has hopefully you know forced us more into the cooperation uh darwin cooperation instead of social darwinism yeah i i think so there is a small sect of people that don't want to follow that um, that ugly brick road. The yellow brick road is the one home. Right. So the yellow brick road is for people that want to be involved and connected and, you know, not fragmented. The other road is leading nowhere fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to, I want to just plug a book. I was recently reading, and I believe this has some, some background on social Darwinism and how there's actually no, support in Darwin himself for the idea of social Darwinism. 
Um, it's a book called Work. Um, let, let me see, it's like the history of work or something like that. Um, work, a deep history from the Stone Age to the age of robots. Really good book. Well, it sounds good. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, so it's right up our alley. And it, you know what? It's it's the and the same demographic of people that do not want to work 40 hour work weeks, let alone 80 hour work weeks, which is what, you know, the Silicon uh, Valley and, uh, you know, lawyers and any anybody in that tier, they do, they just only work. So yeah. we want experience, we want more experiences and less, less hoarding and more time together. Um, mm -hmm. But we're different. Like I think that um, Lau is from Argentina, and she felt a huge difference living in California compared right. to how people just hung out in Argentina. Totally, and that's how Thailand was, and that's why moving from Tha even Bangkok, even in Bangkok, and I did live in rural Thailand, and I hung out with the villagers and stuff. So that was even another level. But even in Bangkok, going from Bangkok to San Francisco was the greatest culture shock. I, I think I'll ever experience in my life way more than leaving California for Thailand. Wow. Um, because the, they they call it Jai D, like they have, um, it's cool heart. They have a cool heart and there's such kindness, you know, the land of smiles. That's how they refer to Thailand. Jai D means cool heart. So it's, it's this idea that there's no aggression toward one another. Yeah. And I'll tell this story because it's a really, it really drives the point home is I was visiting LA from Thailand one year. Um, we went to the beach with my parents and my son was hmm, three, probably two and a half, three. And he had to use the bathroom. And it's one of those little, you know, cute beachy towns, Ventura, something like that. Um, and he, it's a one, one room bathroom and it's the only bathroom around at this beach, you know, and he was in there by himself. He's, you know, doing his number two. He's taking a really long time. And actually I was in there with him now that I think about it. And so there, this line is forming, like a uh, massive line is forming because he takes at least 15 minutes. You know, he's two years old. He's like singing songs, he, you know, he's, uh, he's doing it. He's just taking his time. And like people st are starting to like knock on the door, like hurry up in there. And, you know, I'm like, I'm in here with my two-year-old. Do you want to come in with us? You know, like what, you know, but really, really agitated, really entitled to the fact that they should be able to access the, the bathroom immediately, you know? And I was thinking, you know, at that time, living in Thailand, just visiting the States, this would never happen there. It would never happen. That level of aggression and that, especially towards a child or a mother and a child, but, but because they have this Confucian kind of, history and background of of the collective and and the higher yes, and the yes. collective and and treating people with a certain level of you know just to that cool heart you know it it was just such a shock and such a reminder of what this culture is like how aggressive yeah. people are i mean just go drive go drive for an hour and see you know yeah. um, try to change lanes like at an awkward time or something you know and you see and it's not that that never happened in Thailand. I mean, I, I experienced a couple of road rage incidents in Thailand, but overall, like the vast majority of experiences there are just, they're just much more relaxed, you know? Well, and you know, Jordan's been so many places and I think he has kind of said the same thing that the difference between the individualistic cultures of like here and maybe London and 
compared to Nepal, Thailand, even um, the communist, is it Cuba? Nicaragua, I don't know where he went. Cuba, Nicaragua, one of those places, just the amount of shared things they shared, this amount of sharing they did compared to the amount of sharing we do. Um, So, yeah, and so he, I'm sure that both of them settling into Santa Clarita, which is very cookie cutter, suburbia. Uh, I'm sure it was harder on them than I could have realized because it does go against their values, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, now they're, they get to be in Hawaii and hopefully, hopefully tend that garden. And I don't mean literally. Right. But the, the call at the end of the book is to that. So instead of saying, oh, we're in an individualistic culture, ladies and gentlemen, how about we try and change? I try and prove from day one that your creativity is for, you know, the collective, that this power that we have is to connect us and to unify us. And that this force is what holds us together. Try and prove it. You can't prove something like that. It's abstract, but I try and give all the support that I can um, abstractly and scientifically and philosophically, historically, all of that. And um, the call at the end is, you know, to adopt this worldview, the Ubuntu that I am because we are, that you can't pluck yourself out and think you don't impact. And if you know you're one of those, you know, whatever the percentage was of wealthy people, then be like, you know, Jeff Bezos' wife. Share that, share what you've got and make a difference. Everybody can do what they want. You know, I'm not, I, we make jokes that I'm the creativity Gestapo, I'm the creativity police. <laughs> but without somebody, you know, at the side of the road, holding the, holding the lantern saying, you know, this is what's up ahead. Okay. You know, I can't sleep at night if I don't, if I don't share that uh, panic, um, and whatever you want to call it, just the insights that I've had over, over my life. These are my insights, working with singers every day and seeing where the culture is going. So it is my right to share it. But when I got to the end and I, and I make that call to action, it's just a worldview. It's, it's just a worldview, like a religion. You see things through that lens. And when you say, hmm, if we're all connected and I'm a small, I am, I can't, I am a small part of a great whole, but I'm not, you know, I, nothing is isolated. Then how will this land not just your art everything you do in your life it's remember what would jesus do does anyone remember that <laughs> yeah it's like well yeah in creativity it's not what would jesus do but it's like how will this impact others and it's something my grandpa knew it's changed since his age yeah. you know his his um gravestone says something about his fellow man yeah, it, it was important to them, to that age group, you, to serve your fellow man. It's not what it says. I can't remember what it says, but it, it was ingrained in me, obviously, as a child. And now I've seen a shift, especially since the 80s. So I'm no historian, but um, the I, me pendulum, we talk about that in the book, that we're swinging back towards the we. We really, really are. And that to embrace that with all of our um with all of our senses, with all of our creativity, with all of our heart and soul, um, cause things could go either way. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Um, and so you talk about the creativist. Oh yes. That, that made me cry too. I, I'm just, 
I'm just, I'm tender today, I guess, just thinking about all this material that it, it's life-changing for me, but the creativist is like an activist, that you you make a commitment that everything that you do creatively, I mean, I could read it. Do you see it? Yeah, I have it. Feel free to read it. All right. Um, so this is? It's taken from the um, Hippocratic Oath that doctors take. It's just taken right from there. Okay, I had it pulled up, but no. Okay. You got so it? this is the creativist promise. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I swear by the forerunners of creativity that I will observe and keep this oath to the utmost of my power and judgment. With regard to contributing to the collective, I will devise a plan and follow it through according to my judgment and means. If I faithfully observe this oath, may I thrive and prosper in my creativity and may humanity benefit from my effort and love. Isn't that nice? Yeah, it's lovely. It's, it's just something to go by. And that it, I do say later that I'm not trying to make it like um, it gives us a it gives us an activism towards something we can relate to on a daily basis. So that when we do get frustrated because we did we got rejected by um, you know an agent or we didn't get called back to the comedy club they didn't like us or whatever. When we do, but that there's a greater picture here and that we cannot get tired and not lose hope. The greater picture, and as um, Madeleine Langall, the one who wrote um, A Wrinkle in Time, always said um, in her book about creativity, that we're here to feed the lake. So that gives our, our, our micro, a macro perspective, not to make us feel small, not to make us feel insignificant in the earth, but to make us part of something greater every day. We're part of something greater, even when we're just curling our hair, little things like that. Otherwise, we forget. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's that mundane. It's the memory of the mundane. I think that's so important that we don't have to be this, you know, visual artist or a dancer or a, you know, a content creator or whatever it is. It's like in those small acts, if we give ourselves to those small acts, we're engaging in creativity mm -hmm. and we're feeding the world with our presence. Mm -hmm. And we're creating a better society when we go through that process on our own and we have meaning and we have intention and we see that it's gonna self-develop, it's gonna help us develop on the inside. And then that many people, do the math, I showed you that before, do the math, that many people that really commit to that um, because there's so much going on now. If people, um, if there's just so much going on that you have got to carve out time to be alone. You have to carve out time for solitude. You have to carve out time to build a ritual you have to carve out time to play. You have to. It's not going to just happen. And I'm not sure if it was always like this or if it's only because I'm a grown up now. Maybe it was like this in the 70s. I don't know. Seems like people played more, right? Well, I think I think that goes back to, you know, what we were saying about culture and it being individualistic. It's not only that it's individualistic, but also that we because possibly because or sort of a chicken egg thing because there we're, we're we see ourselves as these individual units that are on some kind of progress track right like we're we're productive units or we're whatever units we're we're constantly going faster and faster so the difference in like thailand for instance is there's no agenda it's just like we're here you know our cultures where there's like a siesta it's like we're we're gonna have a siesta because that just makes sense because it's the hot afternoon our bodies are dirty yeah you know it's um 
it's it's this difference between this constantly running from the present moment because the present moment isn't enough for us and and trying to create more trying to grasp more accumulate more and and there's actually a study on this called the good samaritan study that that shows that being in a hurry decreases our empathy mm. It's a, yeah, so it's 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 so folded in, you know, it's not simply that we're individualistic, but but also that we have this idea that we have to produce or we have to accumulate or we have to accomplish or whatever. Um, and this relationship to time, that's mm -hmm. a whole a whole other thing. Well, so that, I, that solid that idea of solitude and your relationship to time and and carving out those things like at the end of all this jibber jabber talking when we go within it's it's a great practice mm -hmm. after you know having all this discussion and all this academia and all of frustration or whatever i mean i don't feel frustrated right now i feel very drawn to this creativity worldview and being a creativist i'm i i absolutely love it it brings so much hope to me yeah. it makes it, it is a promise the promise of creativity as a worldview um does, and i believe it, it, we're going in that direction i do have hope but having these conversations to kind of pinpoint it um is is it's heart-wrenching really and it's as you said we have to you know unify the opposites so but taking that time to do our meditation is exactly it's exactly that it's putting it um giving us time to separate yeah. um the noise <laughs> <laughs> And I, I just want to make one more point based on what you just said is you said um, you believe we're going in that direction. And the, the real like substance of that is that you are creating that direction in what you are doing in your life as an individual, right? Like you are living that reality and thus creating the truth of, of us moving in that direction. So it isn't this thing we sit back and we passively say, oh, I hope let's cross our fingers. Let's watch what everybody does. It's like, we are creating that direction. And, you know, we're, we're two of millions, billions, who knows, people creating that direction. And of course, there's all kinds of directions being created, all kinds of realities being created. But it doesn't matter because if even two people are willing to kind of like hold, you know, hold vigil for this reality, it exists. That's right. Yeah. All right. And with that, um, go to, can you go to speaker view? So I'm not, yeah. okay. Yeah. Do you want to turn off your? Yeah, but I still want you to go on speaker view. Okay. So I'm trying to put myself, I've done it before. Let me see. It's at the top. There we go. Okay. All right. Let's settle into our bodies. Find a comfortable upright seated position. Let the eyes fall shut. Take a few breaths just to let go of any tension, any holding in the chest, in the face, the head, the neck, the jaw, the belly. Just let it be loose. Let it wiggle, let it jiggle. Breathing in that enlivening oxygen and exhaling tension tightness, strain, resistance, frustration. 
Inhale and then let it all go. Allow yourself to arrive in this moment. To arrive in this moment in time in your body without anywhere to go, without any need for the future to arrive any sooner than it does. Allow your sense of time to just dissolve. The sense of time is a construct of past and future. It's the projection of past and future onto the present moment. Imagine that in this present moment, there's only the inhalation and the exhalation an infinite loop of a single moment in time. The inhale, the exhale. The contraction and the expansion of the universe. represented in your own body. The creation and the dissolution of life, of existence. Contained in one inhalation and one exhalation. And imagine arriving in this present moment by letting go of any agenda. What if you had no agenda? The way that a baby is simply here, simply immersed in the wonder of experiencing the present. How would you relate differently to the world? How would you respond? Rather than experiences being inconveniences or interruptions, imagine the freedom of having nothing to interrupt, no agenda to be inconvenienced, No schedule getting delayed. Just this moment and you as the awareness experiencing it without any projections, conceptualizations, without any needs for it to be this way or that way, 
how would you see the moment that you're in right now? The body that you're in right now, the sensations of that body, the building or structure that you're in right now. If you were empty of any kind of preconceived value judgments, oh, this house is worth this much money. Oh, this house is too small. Oh, this house needs an open plan. Or this body, it's 10 pounds overweight. Skin's too light, dark, saggy, wrinkly. All these judgments were just magically erased. And you came back to beginner's mind, an empty mind, a receptive mind, experiencing life directly, experiencing reality directly insofar as the senses are capable of experiencing reality directly. No good or bad. No pushing away, no resisting, no grasping, no pulling toward. What sense of wonder would you have for your sheer existence. The fact that you could be 10 million miles away, you could be hours or days or years in the future and hearing my voice. If you strip away the part of the mind that sees that as mundane, sees it as normal, sees it as simple mechanics, How do you perceive this moment with a fresh mind? And when you next encounter person, a friend, a family member, a stranger? What if you met them with the same fresh mind? Another being of awareness embodied in human form? How might it affect them to 
interact with them. Simply with that knowing in your heart, with that fresh perspective. To see yourself in them and them in you. How might that ripple out to the rest of the world? What if we all allowed ourselves to interact with the world with fresh, open hearts, like children, without protecting ourselves or having to look a certain way, having to appear to be a certain way, professional, adult, aloof, whatever but showing up with our hearts just as they are. What potential could that fulfill? And start to bring your awareness back to your body if the mind has wandered. Back to your seat, back to the sensations of sitting, the sensations of the body in this present moment, the sensations of the breath. And there's no need to put any of that back on. There's no need to pick up all the armor where you left it and set it down or any of the concepts or any of the sense that I'm right and they're wrong. There's no need to limit your perception You can keep seeing the world with fresh, innocent eyes. And as you're ready, you can gaze away from your screen. Let the eyes flutter open. Thank you. See you next time. Bye. Love you. Love Thank you. you. Bye.